This is Belize from UCLA Radio, and you're listening to The Menu. Good afternoon. You're tuned into The Menu on UCLA Radio, a radio show about LA's wonderful food culture and the people who make it special. I'm your host, Belize. And I'm Henry. Obviously, right now, the food world has been turned upside down by COVID-19, so we're bringing you the menu from our own homes and trying to bring you stories of chefs, owners, and anyone involved in the LA culinary scene who is doing their part to survive and serve their community during this crisis. Today, we're joined by Sylvie Gabriel, owner of Love and Salt, a much-celebrated Italian restaurant with a long history in LA's South Bay neighborhood, Manhattan Beach. Both her and her father, Guy Gabriel, who started the family business back in 1977 as Cafe Pierre, are UCLA graduates as well. Thank you so much for coming on the menu, Sylvie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so you graduated from UCLA and you also have an MBA from Loyola Marymount. Um, how do you think your degrees were important for the restaurant business and for your business in particular? Uh, good questions. I think, I think, first of all, I think education is uh, critical to to life. I think um, it teaches us how to think. It teaches us how to think things through. I think do the research before we jump to conclusions. I think it teaches critical thinking skills that are um, really important to life. Uh, my degrees in particular, well, I think, you know, I think our choices and degrees make up really our interests. And I think in life, you know, of a, of a, of our major and what it's going to be, we think, oh, that has to tra directly translate into what our job is going to be. And I think, I think more than that, I think what happens is, is with degree choices, you know, they're really what our interests are. And so when I went to UCLA, I got a, uh, uh, bachelor's in psychology and a minor in women's studies. And uh, initially I thought I was going to be a psychologist. And so, you know, I grew up in my um, family business. Well, actually not family. It was more my father's uh, restaurant. Um, and I put myself through school. And, um, and so, you know, I, I, I'd always had, a, I've, always, I've always been very interested in people. So I got a, um, a degree in psychology and I thought I was going to be a psychologist um, and then I worked in the field a bit and kind of discovered that I think I'd be more interested in working with people than I am necessarily in working with um, psychological issues I guess so I continued working with my dad um, and realized you know at a certain point as I worked with him and kind of got involved with the business um, all the business aspects uh, I found uh, a real strong interest in business as well. So I went and got my master's. Uh, a master's in business is super important. When you have a business, it's so important to understand what you're doing. It makes it a hundred times easier. And so when I got my master's, uh, it just, it made everything that I did business-wise just a lot easier. So, uh so now, you know, owning a restaurant, it's kind of funny how things work because, you know, I didn't really see how the you know, degree in psychology and a minor women's studies would, you know, translate into what I'm doing. But really owning a restaurant um, as a woman currently 
um, and having really it's a, I have a very uh, a woman run restaurant I've got a chef de cuisine as a who's a woman and I have um, management team you know with mostly women um, and not that I intended to do that that not that it was you know selected that way but you know working with people and um, and you know being who you are and loving what you do just naturally translates into that right so I that's reassuring I think for for graduates especially because um, it it just it happens you evolve who you are you can't really you know you can't really force yourself into being different so it's good it's always reassuring to here when, um, you know, your major doesn't have to be what you do for the rest of your life. So I was curious, um, you sort of grew up around and in this restaurant. Um, I'm, I'm curious, what sort of managerial skills did you learn there? And also, what did you learn that you wanted to do differently operating your own restaurant? Let's see, uh, managerial skills. I mean, I think you learn your role, right? I mean, when you, when you go into any business or any, any job, you know, you learn your role and you have somebody who teaches you what that role is. Um, and so as I, when I graduated from UCLA, I started, you know, in management and I learned from, you know, the managers around me. Um, and as I learned, I saw how things could be better. Um, and I didn't, um, you know, I didn't go in and try to change everything, but I, as I, as I performed, I, um, made recommendations and I, um, you know, I learned kind of on the job, um, and learned from others. And then when I, when I went and got my master's in business, it totally transformed my point of view as far as running the business. And so that I think elevated our business to the to a completely another level. Um, back in you know I've, I we tran we rebranded uh, our restaurant. We opened in 1977 as Cafe Pierre, and then in, uh, in 2014 we rebranded to Love and Salt. So you know I took over the business systems back in uh, 1998, and you know things changed so much technologically and all that. So I transformed our business systems back then, opened another restaurant, um, did real estate, you know, we do we invest in real estate as well. So have been active in, in those regards. But then when we rebranded Love and Salt, um, managerially or, or, you know, in terms of business systems, not a whole lot changed except for as technology, technology has changed, more just doing a new concept, doing something new and exciting. Um, I think, I don't know. I think I answered, did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> you talked a little bit about the renovation the restaurant went through. And I read that um, the design of the restaurant also changed while you were rebranding. Um, so why did you also want it to change the look of the restaurant in the first place? And what was your vision um, for the next phase of that space yeah we did we actually gutted it to, to the studs um, we opened up the kitchen I mean I think 
Cafe Pierre was a closed kitchen, um, and, and you know we were we were limited to kind of the, how the structure was when we originally moved into it. This time we wanted to just open it all up and make it opt optimize it for for what we knew the space could be. Um, and also, you know, whenever you do a new brand, you, it has to have the look and the feel of of what that brand represents, right? So a lot of the aesthetic as far as colors or, or even just the openness of it. Um, we wanted it to be inviting. We wanted it to represent the colors and kind of the feel of a beach. Um, so you go, yeah, you go into it with kind of the vision of, 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 of what the identity of the, of the restaurant concept is. And then you want that aesthetic to convey it. Right. So I think I've seen that, um, I've noticed that sort of reinvention has been um, more prevalent um, and even necessary for restaurants um, to survive in this day and age um, um, due to maybe diners um, like constantly changing tastes and palates. Um, why do you, why do you think that is? And what do you think that says about um, the food industry here in LA? Yeah. Well, I think, in business in general, there's life cycles, right? And, um, you know, it's, it's driven by interest. It's driven by innovation. It's driven by how we evolve, right? Um, and so I think it's just human nature, honestly. And I think that the way we respond as business owners and kind of as we do product development and as we um, evolve, we're responding to, we want to, you know, of course we want to be in, to innovate and kind of, do things and you know as people grow we grow and we people push us forward and we bring you know we bring people with us and i think it's just all about kind of growth and um and i think that's what's most interesting right for all of us is no matter what we do what we want to be doing is we want to be doing things that are interesting and that inspire and um and that are fun so i think that's part of the drive for us i mean for me i don't really you know, innovate or change or rebrand or uh, do any of that necessarily because to, to, to compete, that's mm. not how I really look at it. I look at it as every day is a day that I want to um, be excited about what I'm doing and, and you learn from other people. So I, we, I have a little bit different point of view on what competition is. Um, you know, I, I always am just pushing myself and driven to, to do more and do, do greater. And I love sharing with, uh, you know, those in the industry or those in any real, in any business, I love to share, um, developments and kind of what we're doing different and, and learning from each other. Um, because it's all about, you know, yourself and how you're growing. Right. So mm. I think it's more, more intrinsic, um, and more, internally driven and then when you see that people respond to that because i think that is what people are most inspired by anyways is is innovation and, and um, creation so um i think it's just a natural thing that people do and we just happen to be in the restaurant business um we're probably a little more visible and more real time than most other businesses so the pressure is always very um eminent <laughs> right yeah and to continue Henry's question, uh, what do you think restaurants have to be careful about when they're doing reinvention, branding, or creative marketing? 
Well, I think, like I said, I, I think the restaurants and the, the restaurateurs and the chefs that are, I find to be the most um, effective, we'll say, or success, you can say successful in what they're doing are really know who they are and really know how that connects to what people want. And so when you have that combination, you know, you're, it's really about identity. And how do you convey an identity? How do you convey what you're doing? So people understand it simply, because obviously what you're doing is more complex than, uh, than pe what people will capture in a sentence or in a slogan or, or any of that. So, um, so most important thing is knowing who you are and what you want to do and how you want to get there and if it's what people want, right? Um, and when you have all of that, it, it, it resonates with people. It hits home, right? Um, so I think the most important thing is really knowing who you are and staying true to your vision, you know? And also, you know, bouncing it off of, of, of experts. I love, um, we have, I have an amazing team, um, marketing and PR team that work with me and we are constantly bouncing ideas off of each other. And so I think it's important to, to, to have all of that and, and how that translates optically um, and through your food and that the, it's all cohesive, you know? So um, it's interesting that you bring up identity. We're, we're at the menu are trying to um, do a little zine about how people see themselves um, or identify through food. Um, I was curious um, if you could share a little bit about maybe how you identify or, you know, um, see yourself through the food at Love and Salt, or if maybe not, you know, Calatelli, uh, you see yourself through what, what food or um, cuisine or, um, you know, anything do you, Identify yeah, with. that's it. I, you know, I think it's true. I think it's true that we, um, we identify with, we are, mo we identify with the foods that we're raised with. Sometimes the foods that we are um, maybe culturally or ethnically or, um, you know, we identify with the foods that we, that are, that we grew up with too, right? Um, and it's, 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 it's such a great, actually such a great question because, um, you know, I was raised, we're with, uh, very multicultural. My mom is, um, Los Angeles through and through born here, raised here. Um, and you know, it was like, comes from a, a real traditional Mormon family. Um, and my father is born in Tunisia. Um, actually French culturally, but Italian by blood. And so, um, so they met, however, you know, in, in Europe or whatever and came here. And so I've been raised very multicultural. And so I, I identify a lot with the foods that, that are my ethnicity, right? Or my background culturally, French food. We started with Cafe Pierre and then Italian food. Um, and also just being raised in a food culture, you become interested in other people's um, backgrounds and how that translates or how it relates to what you do or, you know, and then you find out when you look at food history, you look at the, the ingredients and how some common ingredients cross over. So my husband is Persian and he has Persian restaurants 
And I became enamored with Persian food before I, you know, when I, from his restaurants, before I even met him, I was just, I, I, I was blown away by it. And so we've been, you know, we've owned a restaurant that had some Persian influence. We're working on something else that's Middle Eastern. Um, and so, and yet, and then interestingly enough, you know, my dad does, what is it? The 23andMe, he did the genetic testing. And yeah. He's like 5% Persian. And I'm like, well, I knew somehow there was like, some, how did I love Persian food so much? Because I was just drawn to it, right? So I have no idea except for, I just, you know, maybe partly were whatever we're raised with or, but you know, you, once you love food, you become, you know, you like to explore it. Stuck right? with it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. I love Thank it. you. Good answer. I agree with most of the things you said. Oh, almost everything you said. <laughs> um, and I feel the exact same way. And I, I, we actually wanted to ask you about the Middle Eastern restaurant that's still coming soon, I assume. How we is- are, yeah, we're actually pl- looking at rolling it out in the next couple months. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Is it is it super top secret? Kind of top secret. Kind okay. of. Uh, well, okay. So we're doing something that, that service wise is a little is more quick service. Um, it's going to be, but it's 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 not going. It's going to have an identity that's very relatable and I think approachable. Um, it's going to have Persian roots, um, and you know, it's going to be it's going to be very authentic. But at the same time, it's going to, you know, be quick service. Um, what else about it? Ask me something else about it. Is it still going to be in Manhattan Beach? No. No, well, we're, we're looking right now. Um, we're rolling, we're going to roll it out in Manhattan Beach a little bit as a pop-up. And then we're going to be probably rolling it out in one of five cities. Ooh. L.A., but L.A., all L.A. Okay, exciting. I love, yeah. I love fast Fast cat, right? Little fast casual, faster, fine fast casual. Right, um, fine fast casual, right? <laughs> yeah, especially I'm I'm Turkish, and I grew up in Istanbul. So you know, my whole my entire middle school, high school years have spent with me like going to a fast casual in uh, our place after school. So I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Wow. Okay, so you grew up in Istanbul. Yeah. You grew up in high school in Istanbul and everything, or yeah. here. It, I grew up in Istanbul and I came here for college. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So my husband um, is Azerbaijan as well. Like his father was Azerbaijani, I guess that's how you say it. Um, his mm-hmm. mother, Russian, Persian and Russian. But he grew up in Iran, in Tehran, till he was about 17 and then came here. Um, yeah. And so that's the thing is like the, you know, the, the Middle Eastern street foods. Yeah. Uh, or even home cooked foods. So the, the, the foods that we're looking at are a little bit more, um, they will translate well into this, you know, as street food, but also um, more, more foods that are cooked at home that people don't get to taste. You know, most of the time people think Middle Eastern food, they think kebabs, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, and um, there's, or, or, you know, shawarma or um, all of that type of, you know, falafel. And it's, it's so much bigger than that. So what we're doing is going to be, um, it's going to bring, you know, kind of the, what, what everybody gets to be, you know, experienced in the home, we're going to try to bring it out. Um, and so, yeah, there's some, there are some Turkish influences as well. Um, so that's cool. It's super exciting. 
That's yeah, amazing. we're so excited. I, it's, the, the, the food is crazy. It's so <laughs> beautiful. Oh, you already, you've already have like a, oh, yeah, a, a sort of menu. Wow. Oh yeah. It's all, it's so beautiful. Wow. <laughs> well, that's exciting to hear. Um, you know, I was very worried that this whole situation was going to, you know, quell a lot of dreams. And we've talked to a few people who are going straight ahead with their plans to open restaurants. And it's really, it's really reassuring. Isn't that, that's such a great, what you're, you know, it's so true what you're saying. The whole COVID thing, if you think about it, it's really just been a few months, but wow, has it just kind of just blown everybody away. Um, yeah. And so for a bit, it was kind of like, wow, this is too much. Um, and, but I think as we roll out and as we reopen and as we kind of get more comfortable with our new normal, I think we'll see that that, that a lot of people that will come back, but you know, you just have to have the vision. And if you don't have the vision, it's hard to, to do, but so we've been developing this brand and this concept for a while. And, um, and when this, when the COVID, when all this happened, I was like, Oh my God, it's going to set us back. And so I've just gotten creative with how we're going to keep it moving forward. Because I think we all, like I said, you know, we all need the inspiration. We all need to see that, especially now, because we all need that bright light, you know? Um, and so, yeah, so I think we're going to actually thinking of doing a pop-up of it at Love and Salt for a period of time so that we can actually get ahead of it and start and start it now, just so we all have something exciting to look forward to. So we're talking about that now. That's wonderful to hear. So yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit um, about COVID and how you've dealt with that at Love and Salt. At the beginning of um, the sort of stay-at-home order, um, how did you manage the shift from dine-in um, service to delivery, um, takeout, and grocery services? And then what challenges did you encounter that made you have to, um, you know, uh, think about operations differently? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll kind of start from you know, kind of before. So I, um, I don't know, somehow my gut was telling me that it's much bigger and was going to become much bigger than just China. Um, and, um, so I started really early on early February started, I started putting into place kind of all the guidelines that they're asking that they're rolling out for restaurants to reopen. Now I started rolling out back in February and, you know, um, from the disinfecting, to the um, employee health, I started rolling all of that out, uh, protocols and you know, with, with regularity and all of that. Um, and I think it was the beginning of February, I had a vendor come in that I've worked with for years who said that um, his wife, had, his, his, mo his wife's mom is in Wuhan. And she said, she was talking to her mom and her mom said, don't believe what they're saying in the media. It's much, much worse than that. Um, it's all over. It's much worse. I won't give you the details of what she shared, but it was, it was, it gave me a, I guess that, you know, it gave me some foresight into what was kind of coming. So, so I had started preparing ourselves and I started, to, you know, working with the department of County of health to understand kind of what, we're looking at. And I had a suspicion, you know, I started modeling for what it would be like if, if business dropped 20%, 50%, 60%. And, 
and um, kind of what our response would be to that and how we would shift ourselves. Um, and so I had a feeling that we would probably somehow we were looking at having to have, have to close for a period of time. And I had no idea that it would be as massive as this, but, uh, but you know, so, so I started to kind of navigate and strategize with our management team um, to, you know, and, and, and um, I included them in all of this as we went because it's important to have everybody on the same page. Um, and so as, you know, March rolled around and, you know, I, wa I, wanted, I watched to see, you know, I knew that as it would get closer to home, you know, there would be, it would be more serious. And so a couple of days before the stay at home order was issued, um, about three days before, uh, I, I was getting more, myself and, my, and everyone who worked with me was getting more and more uncomfortable because of the exposure. And so as we got more and more uncomfortable, we made you know, modifications to what we were doing. And so about three days before the stay-at-home order was issued, we, went, we actually did the social distancing, six-foot social distancing in the restaurant um, because it just felt more comfortable. And, um, and then on, it was a Sunday, Dr. Fauci, you know, announced that he felt he urged restaurants to close and just resume takeout diet, takeout, which that day I realized I absolutely am uncomfortable with this. So we closed and we just started doing takeout and delivery. And the next day, the stay at home order was issued. Um, and we operated for takeout and delivery for about a week and a half. And, you know, we, we had from day one, we were doing pasta kits and we opened up a grocery pop-up and selling beer and wine on our third party platforms. And, you know, I'm a really huge um, believer in technology. So I have had for, for at least a year and a half now, technologies set up in the restaurant to, to, uh, to, to, to maximize efficiency. Um, so we were really set up to just kind of pivot very easily to a delivery and takeout model. Um, and so what we did was we just uploaded all of our grocery pop-up into onto our platforms and we rolled it out. We rolled out, all, rolled this all out, pasta kits, um, beer, wine, all of that within like a day and a half um, or even a day um, and started selling. And that was actually quite successful. I think people were, buying out our groceries and um and so we were for about a, a week and a half but as the pandemic grew and you know and, and 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 seriousness and you know new york um what happened in new york and all, as all this started to unravel um i was very uncomfortable with the various risk factors at the restaurant um, you know, third-party delivery people, vendors coming in, we're receiving boxes, we're receiving people coming in to do delivery. You know, we didn't understand what this was, so we didn't really know what were the real risks. So as this, as, as this developed, I became very uncomfortable with exposing my employees and my, me and my family. Um, I felt, you know, I thought, you know, a month, being closed for a month is a small amount of time in the lifespan than to have to, to take risks and to 
risk other, you know, our, my staff, they have parents and have grandparents. To risk that and not just for a month of time in our lives, I felt was negligent. So I decided that we would close and take some time to take a break, get some, an opportunity to understand what we were facing, how to navigate through it, kind of develop our strategies, and that's what we did. So we closed for six weeks, and then um, as I figured that we would probably reopen, at least for takeout and delivery, once we start to see the, the, the spread slow down, um, and that's what we did, and mid-May we opened again for takeout and delivery. Um, with all, you know, with a few new safety and health, you know, um, protocols, which we feel really good about. We actually feel really comfortable now um, doing the delivery and takeout. And now we're looking at, of course, the reopening, which um, is a really another huge part of all of this. But um, that's basically how I've responded um, and how we, you know, how we took handle the the whole pandemic. That was a very thorough response. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and um, you talk a little bit about reopening as well. And Manhattan Beach is moving ahead with reopening small businesses. Um, so are you planning to reopen dining services anytime soon? Do you have a timeline for that? Or how do you think you'll be operating once you reopen? So the... Um I think LA County is going to be released doing a press release today. Oh, which will be saying uh, that dine-in restaurants di that restaurants be open for dine-in any day for LA County. Wow, that's um, super exciting! I've been waiting so, for that day. <laughs> yeah, and so I think probably at least within the next week we'll probably see that unless there is some sort of development um, that kind of sets us back, but I don't think that's happening. I think, you know, we had a, a briefing, telebriefing with uh, Barbara Frere and uh, Department of County of Health yesterday for restaurants and businesses. And um, that's basically what looks like it's happening. So we will be, we'll have the green light to, to open. Um, that, I'm not sure if that means that we're gonna go ahead and reopen, you know, right, right away. Uh, there are certain things I want to see in place for us. Um, we have most everything in place, but I've certain things, you know, mostly um, certain, you know, guidances that, that the county has given or the state has given us that we want to implement, um, which the technology is almost there. Um, I think it's going to roll out in a week. So I think we'll probably, we will open when we're comfortable opening, uh, when we feel it's right that we feel, you know, we have, but we have all of our, you know, our disinfecting and all of our, um, you know, employee health stuff in check. We will be taking, we're already taking temperatures. We're already doing health forms every day. Um, and, you know, social distancing, of course, with all of our disinfecting every two hours of certain things and every 30 minutes and some with some things. So, yeah. So I think in the next couple of weeks, we'll probably be opening up. Exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at the heart of your... Um, dining room is a large communal table, um, which I, first, I love sitting at those. Um, I was curious why you wanted that at the centerpiece of your restaurant and also how you are going to seat people um, at that table once you reopen, if you are at all. Yeah, well, actually, um, we had the communal table when we opened, but we, 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 there are now tables. Oh, okay. So, so, yeah, so we, people don't really... 
you know, communal dining was fun for a minute, but I think people were really like, I want my own table. So probably yeah. about two and a half years ago, we, we broke up the communal table into tables. Um, but nevertheless, our space is tight. We are not a big restaurant. Um, so part of what we'll be doing is, I mean, we'll, we'll open up with some social distancing, but we are actually going to be doing um, barriers. Oh, wow. So we're going to be doing, you know, um, some plexiglass clear barriers between tables that form fit kind of each space. Um, we'll still do, you know, I, I think that the, we're going to get the LA County guidance probably today or in the next few days. I think they're going to ask us to open up at 50% capacity nevertheless. So, you know, we will be doing that anyways, but, but part of the strategy to, uh, to protect everyone is to use technologies and to use barriers to to help people feel comfortable and also protect people. So and another thing we're going to be doing, of course, is like I said, with technology, and that's kind of why I'm rolling it out is, you know, there's, uh, you know, paying at the table, ordering um, via technology rather than having servers take orders. Um, we're looking at all of that, maybe ordering ahead, doing maybe some um, prefix menus on certain days so that guests can just book and they know what they're getting and it's, there's a less contact. We have, to, we, have to, we have to look at all of that um, and make sure that we're doing it and rolling it out properly. So that's how we're handling it. Wow. That's, I'm still amazed by how well thought all of this is. Um, another thing is love and salt is not only a destination for really good food, but it's also, um, part of the neighborhood. It's a neighborhood standby. So has being in that position, has that been integral to keeping love and salt alive and well during COVID and other hard times? And how, how do you think having regulars is important, especially right now? Uh, yeah, I think first and foremost, Love and Salt is a neighborhood restaurant, and we are part of the community. We've been a part of the community for so many years. I mean, I grew up here. I went to elementary school, a preschool, actually, and I grew up all the way through high school, and, you know, in my, we've been an integral part of the community. From the very beginning of all of this, it's been about, you know, making the safety and the health a priority for both our staff and for our community. Um, and so that's been really the number one priority. But at the same time, as we rolled out our um, offerings, you know, these new creative offerings, it was really to serve the needs of the community, uh, make people feel more comfortable that they have a place to get what they need. Because it was scary for a minute, right? With the groceries, everybody, the hoarding and the, emptying out of the stores and nobody could find eggs or toilet paper. We were selling toilet paper. Um, and, right. Right. Um, and so that was to serve the community and that was to serve, to make sure that our people, um, whoever they are within our reach, um, could have some sense of security. Um, and then, you know, of course that translates also into our food offerings and everybody's, you know, it's, loves what we the food that we do and it, it's a part of their lives and so we feel really grateful to be able to serve the community 
and to be important to the community and the way that they've supported us and given back to us has been amazing um, and really greater than I ever imagined. Um, very beautiful. And, you know, and so we're taking it to another level more recently. We just rolled out this week, like local love family dinners. And we kind of like, they're like doorbuster, you know, we're just like doing what people love and just, you know, you can do it. You, you can order it and pick it up between three and five and there's a limited supply because we can only do so much, but, um, but just giving back, you know, to the community to, to, to just show that much more support back. So that's basically what we've done. <laughs> but yeah, the locals and our, our regulars are, have, uh, have shown so much love and support, really. That's fantastic and yeah. so integral. A lot of restaurants who don't have that are struggling really hard. That's very, very, very nice to hear. Very, very nice to hear. Could you tell us briefly what Love and Salt is offering right now for our listeners? Oh, sure. Uh, let's see. What are we offering right now? Good question. So we have takeout and delivery via uh, online, via our website, or uh, you know, DoorDash, Postmates, and Grubhub. Um, we have our a la carte menu. We have family meals. We have, um, like I said, our local love dinners that are available from three to five, um, limited supply. We have a happy hour, um, which is a pizza and a drink between three and five we have our kind of pasta kits still have a little bit of groceries but that's just minimal just for extra support um cocktails to go beer and wine to go um and soon dine-in <laughs> soon so exciting we're almost there you guys are going to come to love and salt now right yeah. yes i mean we we <laughs> we go like we try to go everywhere you know d during you know covid times before we talk to people and right, right, right. So <laughs> i know you're gonna do it yeah. no probably not <laughs> i mean we had we were talking about this interview for a, for a while right Belize? yeah um and so i was planning on coming down like a month right. or two ago two months ago until yeah. you were stuck at home yeah. <laughs> so true but we can't wait to be back there well um thank you so much for coming on the show sylvie thank you thank you you guys are so awesome so cute uh, thank you for, uh, doing this. thank you thanks for caring about the food world you just listened to our interview with sylvie gabriel of love and salt in manhattan beach Make sure to check on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or themenu.radio on Instagram for any updates on future episodes or content. Thanks for listening.